the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 110, recorded Friday, September 27th, 2013. X10 is dead. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. This is Tim Albright, your host. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, with us this week is Brad Grimes, the senior editor at Infocom International. How are you, sir? Good, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, also with us is Dan Fulmer. He is the CEO of Full Tech Solutions. Hello, Dan. Hey, great to be here. Thanks. Uh, also with us is Chris Netto. Chris is from AV Help Desk. Hello, sir. Hi, how are you? Uh, and also with us is Joshua Stackhouse. Uh, if you've listened to the show before, Josh is an up-and-coming uh, AV professional. He has an actual degree, and now he has a real AV job. Josh is the audiovisual systems technician at AMS. Congratulations, brother. Thank you. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about a whole lot of things. Uh, Rebo Labs has some interesting thoughts. Savant is doing... Uh, interesting things. Uh, we're going to chat a little bit about 4K uh, and deep color. Yay, deep color. Uh, but first, um, Crestron. <laughs> and and uh, I, I, I am a Crestron user. I'm, I'm a Crestron programmer, not a certified or anything like that. But uh, at the college that I work for, I am the Crestron guy. So uh, I'm not, you know, this is not a, a slam on them. But I, I was going through Google Plus a couple days ago. And somebody just kind of posted this, and the comment was, what the heck is this? It was a link to the Crestron application market. So, Chris, I'll ask you, what the heck is this? Did they sell tunes on it? No! They don't sell, they don't, they don't sell anything yet, by the way. Everything's zeros, I mean, everything's free. Uh, real quickly, and I, sh I shouldn't just kick it off. With, <laughs> you I, I, you, I shouldn't have just thrown it. There, there are modules, there are IR drivers, there's GUI themes, there's GUI resources. It reminds me, if, if you're familiar with, with Crestron, and AMX has stuff like this as well, it reminds me of their certified partner program where you can go in and you can download modules that have been made uh, either by Crestron uh, and in and in partnership with the uh, like you know Sony and yeah. and, uh, and Sharp and people like that, or it's made by the mark the uh, manufacturer with Crestron's help. That's what it reminds me of. Only it's a mm -hmm. uh, application market and it's it's modeled after the app market on on uh, on iOS. So, so what the heck? It, it looks uh, you know I'm I'm checking it out right now. It looks pretty interesting. Um, you know, getting the those things and I'm not a, a, a Crestron programmer but you know finding drivers and you know that the database of what's out there that you can control you know maybe, maybe this is just a logical way of putting it out there for programmers to go out and find it and making it easy for people to get the right drivers and the correct uh, you know pieces that they need to control the equipment it, it may maybe a 
an idea, but looking at this stuff down on the columns that they offer, IR drivers, GUIs, and themes, I guess people are going to start putting together some, you know, free themes and free GUIs for people to start, you know, sharing, I guess, maybe? So it's, well, and I, I don't know. <laughs> the, I, I actually ran across, uh, I, I found out about this weirdly backwards because uh, one of the, our guys, Scott Tyner, who's on the, uh, the EdTech show with us, um, gave us, uh, sent me a, an email that Crestron had sent him and said, hey, by the way, check out our new market after I had found out about it. And apparently people are going to be able to build their own modules and their own GUIs and sell them on the apps, on the App Store. So they're developing this interesting little ecosystem where it's very Apple-ish. It's very Apple-esque. And this is not the first time that Crestron has, has tried to emulate Apple. I mean, they, they've had a long history of doing a lot of, of iOS and, and Apple, uh, Apple-centric devices. Uh, Josh, go ahead. I was going to say, this is Dan. Um, it's, it's funny, I was just talking to a manufacturer last week, and I won't say which one, but I, I, I see their module on here, and they actually were talking about paying someone to do their module for them and putting it on here. I guess somehow this differs uh, in some way from the, uh, the partner program because it, it, it looks like the similar end result, but something must be different in the way that they put these together, maybe. And you're right, Dan, because the, when you click on, uh, like, like you hover over modules and you can you can search by manufacturer and device type, which, by the way, is is also how you you, you do it in in the partner program section of of the website. Um, the one interesting thing here is that I didn't have to log in with my my username and password to get access to this. Uh, I'm wondering maybe if if they're opening this up to others or if I'm just automatically I may be automatically logged in too. But I don't see, yeah, no, there's a sign in or create account, so I'm not logged in. So this is an interesting, an interesting turn for Crestron, I guess. Uh, well, go ahead. I think one of the big complaints has always been that you know, Crestron is is difficult to program. Um, I think that comes from not knowing how to program. And I, I'm a mm -hmm. programmer. Some others on here are programmers, but maybe it's an attempt to kind of, you know, assist some of the dealers that have a tough time getting, uh, you know, the programming done. So, you know, put some stuff out there that helps them kind of dibble through the little steps and uh, maybe it'll help them. I, I disagree. I think we should bring the, you know, dealer quality level up and, uh, you know, they learn how to program better. But uh, maybe this is an attempt just to, to help vet that market. Well, would this, as, as, as a programmer, would you go to this app store to... Uh to download some of these modules because it's not just the modules, but if you, if you, as you're looking at it, we'll put a link on the website. There are also there are GUI interfaces in conjunction with the modules. So is this a place that you would go, Dan? Uh, I don't know. I think on the back end, one of the conversations I had with that manufacturer was the fact that he had spent a decent amount of money on the on the the programming portion of it, and he said the front end, the the, the interface, the GUI, yeah. wasn't that great. And I said, well. The real deal is if I'm doing a whole house system, I'm going to have my own graphics. So I'm probably going to take your data and put that into my own graphics anyway. So I think from a graphics standpoint, you got to look at it that way. Um, otherwise, from a programming standpoint, I may dip into this if I had an odd part that we hadn't done before or something. And, you know, maybe it would help with that. But otherwise, I mean, we're going to do most of our stuff on our own, especially simple stuff. Or maybe you could take take their GUI and, and make that the, the, uh, the center point. The center point. Because there are some that are actually... Pretty cool. Uh, they have a Panasonic KV, KX VC300 here. That's uh, that's an interesting black with red, uh, and uh, some of their other actual uh, GUIs and themes. Um, 
the one thing that I, I ran across, oh, good Lord, two or three years ago, was a number of different companies that just flat out sold themes. Totally separate right. from Crestron, totally separate, you know. But it was, it was, and, and they weren't, they weren't incredibly expensive. They were, they were more than what we, we could afford uh, at, at the college. But it was an interesting idea because then you could have, uh, they, the one company had uh, NFL teams. And you could complete, you could completely change the background and, and the buttons depending on who your client's favorite team was. Um, and it, it seems to be very, that seemed to be very residential focused, right? Um, but it was a, yeah. it was a neat idea though. The fact that this, this company had basically had a store and this store, the, the Crestron app store reminds me of, of, of that company's store. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, Josh, you, you, uh, you have gone to school for, for AV and when it comes to learning all the different aspects, is this something that somebody like you or one of your fellow classmates could do maybe on the side to, you know, make some extra money and, and create modules and create graphical user interfaces for folks to, uh, to download from Crestron's app store? Well, you know, this isn't really reflective of anything that we studied in school. I mean, the, the extent of our automation is more theory-based. So we'll study the concepts of how to write a proper macro sequence so that when a customer hands the, you know, you hand the remote to a customer in a resi environment or a commercial environment, it's natural and intuitive. Um, so th this is really actually uh, a little bit beyond my scope, um, having no familiarity with Crestron. Although... Uh, I do have to say that I, f I find that it's kind of amusing that when you click on the, the button, it says, uh, wow, you found a great price. We can't seem to find this product for less and everything is free. So, uh, I guess I just have to hand it back to you, Tim. I really, I, I really just can't comment. <laughs> You're right. It is. It, everything is free currently. Uh, so, uh, Brad, you've been around the AV industry a long time, not necessarily, not just in, in the, uh, Infocom role, but before this, you were uh, a uh, highly touted editor of a very nice publication. Um, <laughs> uh, have you seen anything like this before where a company like Crestron has gone after uh, what seems to be, um, it doesn't seem to be like the, the dealers, or does it, I guess? Um, I mean, it. You see things like this in, in different markets, and you see it in, throughout AV and IT in, in different ways. But I think what we're really trying to get at here is, a um, first, of all, first of all, centralized resource and a little bit of quality control. I mean, these mm -hmm. folks are going to have to upload their, their software to Crestron. Crestron is going to look at it. Um, I think they even reserve the right to kick back feedback and, and bug fixes and things like that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, what they're going to charge for these things eventually, I don't know. I love that they're all zero dollars and zero cents right now. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I think it's, you know, I, I think it's a great resource and, um, you know, it should help, uh, you know, centralize an effort to, to, you know, basically put everything on their control system platform. I mean, there's a lot of manufacturers represented here. A lot of people have been working on it. Um, and uh, and there should hopefully be a little uh, a little quality control as well. Now I don't know what kind of feedback Crestron gives. You know whether they prefer some of these uh, manufacturers do their modules or their drivers a different way. Um, 
but if not, you know, they're they're helping them debug their software. Hopefully, we'll just all all get a, a higher level of quality um, from some of these things. I didn't think about the quality control. That's a really good point. <laughs> the fact that that they're centralizing it, and again, they 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 reserve the right to to give you feedback and and you know possibly kick it back if it's not working for them and and yeah. you know put it through the the rigors kind of like again very apple-esque when, when you when you submit an app to apple they they do the exact same thing they they have to the qualify it uh before they put it on the app store so uh, yeah i think there definitely need to be some quality control but the the other thing i see here is is from a, a dealer like me who's had you know just because we've been around a long time had to write a lot of our own modules um this would be a great outlet to maybe sell some of those modules i see it you know it says choose from over a thousand free time-saving modules but if they expect um you know other partners or dealers to uh um, you know give them software to put out there maybe software that maybe has some advancements upon the basic stuff that you could get for free such as done a jandy pull module for somebody that had basically five of those units <clears throat> daisy chained together so we had to write the module for that expansion of it and you know it's all in simple plus you could upload that and people could pay you know x amount of dollars for that and they get a more advanced feature set than they got off the normal free one so it may be an outlet for dealers who have some stuff that's more advanced to make some money on it that's a really good point so you could recoup some of those costs um maybe you don't maybe you don't put the entire cost of that module creation in that in that one job and, right. and give your your customer a heart attack what i have to pay how much for this you can you can offset some of those costs by selling it on this market and giving your customer a break exactly exactly and, and we do that typically anyway if we spend a lot of development time on a specific product we try to you know break that cost down over several product or installations over at least a year and uh, this, again, would help dealers like me to offset that even further. I think it would be a good idea in that market as long as everything's not free. You know, I don't know how many guys, like Josh said, are going to donate their time to uh, do free software and then donate to this. So. I'm wondering if, if some of, these, the, some of this, these GUIs were already created by Crestron or, or were formed out by Crestron and the modules also. And then you know, they, they used the existing uh, infrastructure to kind of... Um, just kind of, uh, you know, seed the, the market as it were. Cause there's only one thing on here that, that costs right now and it's $699. So that's, that's a, a, a Riviera cold, uh, elevate theme. So, and it's, it's pretty, if you like blue, uh, I'm going to move on. Uh, hey, yes, sir. Uh, just, I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about, you know, the other type of markets that are are out there from the Android market and iOS and all that sort of stuff. Um, do you think that, you know, in your opinion, can you foresee this happening where maybe the independent programmers that are out there are taking this stuff and, you know, when they're in downtime, you know, in between jobs, for example, are creating modules that they have or taking the modules that they have and using it as, as a source of income? They, they can't. I, I do see that. Here's the, here's the sticky question, though, for you. And, and Dan can chime in on this as, as the owner of a company. Whose is it? <laughs> because I mean, seriously, there, there, and there are so many. But I, 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 I who, specifically said independent programmers. Well, so well I know, guys. but but so but there are independent programming companies, right? I mean, they're mm -hmm. not just uh, in and in Crestron's world, they're called CSPs now. Uh, they used to be called Capes, but right, if yeah. it's if it's a whole company of, of independent programming, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe I should know. Yeah, you did say independent, didn't you? So. Yeah. All right. Never mind. <laughs> 
<laughs> you still do you still do run into that who owns the code thing and yes. you know you basically have to get into the copywriting issues of, of writing code because you know we've, we've people have discussed this before and if you're getting the actual software to write the code from Crestron or a manufacturer for instance then they technically own that part of it so what part do you own you can get into a lot of rigmarole just trying to go through that so that, that is an open-ended question, I think, still, and you have to figure out how you're going to protect your intellectual property on that. It is, and it, I, I, I go back, and I, we've had several discussions about who owns the code. We've written blog posts. Uh, Commercial Integrator had a webinar on it. Um, the show that we do called Con, uh, State of Control did a couple of different episodes on it. I, I go back to, yes, the, there are certain portions that the companies themselves own, that the companies who do the job, that Dan would, would own. Yes, you get the software from the company, but you know what? You can get you know um, uh, Visual Basic and, and and other programming languages from Microsoft and other people too. Uh, you get you get right. the software to write apps from Apple. That doesn't mean that they own the the, the app that you create using their software. Right. So, all right, let's move on before I get in more, any more trouble. Uh, from GigaOM, <laughs> Nest embraces developers, yay, and launches an, an API. <laughs> Why is it about time? I mean, is this something you guys have been waiting for? I, from from my standpoint, I, I mean, I have I have a thing I call interoperability, and I think the industry, you know, an industry organization should push this to all manufacturers of all new products, which is it, it would behoove them to make their products more interoperable, meaning they'll integrate with other systems. I think they'll sell more. You have a bigger sales force. Um, you have somebody who's basically doing the installations in tech for you. So I think from a manufacturer's standpoint, I think it's a great idea to kind of, you know, basically team up with the industry to help it, you know, they're alleviating a lot of their cost and problems, I think, when they kind of make it so we can sell their products. That way we're doing all the work. They're going to be like a bigger sales force, and the end result is the more clients will use the product. Brad, Dan makes, raises a good point, but what, what's the likelihood that, companies in the AV industry will embrace the whole API movement that has happened uh, that, that, that really is IT centric. I mean, we think about it, API is um, when I think of an API, I think of things like, you know, uh, the Google API and the Facebook API and Twitter's API. I don't think about a piece of AV gear. So, yeah. so what's the likelihood that, that AV companies and manufacturers will embrace this idea? Um, well, I, I'm torn by this news, to be honest with you, I, and uh, uh, all opinions that follow are strictly my own. But um, yes, I, I am. I've always been in favor of open platforms and open APIs and, and integration, and that's great. Um, the thing that Nest had, has going for it, uh, in my opinion, and you know, they've got deep roots in the in the iPod technology, and mm -hmm. you know, that was not that didn't succeed because it was an open platform. I mean, Apple kept that thing pretty tight. Yes, they made, you know, everyone could develop apps for it, but overall the platform platform was pretty tight. And to some extent that was, that is at first Nest's strength is that, you know, people who don't have a lot of exposure to home automation or anything like that, put this thing on their wall. It programs itself. It, it, it does all these whiz bang things that we've been trying to convince people to do in their homes with with very little um, interference from from users from from the actual people who you know who are, are going to benefit from it so i always thought that that was really great uh you know the api is is excellent for 
existing systems. So if you already have a Crestron system in your home or a Control 4 system in your home and you want to integrate a Nest thermostat uh, into it, yes, you need the API to integrate it into it. Um, so that is that is an advantage. But I, I don't know. I think for, for a lot of the newbies out there, it was the it's the closed platform. It's the no-duh, this is just going to work. You know, it's tightly controlled by the company um, that would really make it a turnkey solution. Now, obviously, when you get into bigger home automation, then, you know, beyond just a thermostat, if people do want to start integrating more stuff, then you need the APIs. Um, but I think one of the strengths and, and just, you know, the reason they sold so many units was because of its closedness. I'm not in favor of closed platforms. That's why I'm just torn by the news. I, I think it's great. To, to be able to integrate these things into a lot of existing platforms. But at the same time, I was also attracted to the fact that this was this thing just worked. You just put it on the wall, and it programmed itself, and you were getting home automation without having to think about it too hard. Um, granted, very small slice of home automation, but but it was a, you know, if, if everybody had home automation by, by now, life would be great, but they don't. I mean, it's yeah. still a it's still a nascent market. It's still something a lot of people haven't embraced, um, and this was a this is a way of of kicking in the door a little bit. Um, great opportunities down the road. I do think they needed an API, so I think ultimately this is the right decision. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm I'm torn in the middle of it. I didn't think about the whole the, the closed platform of it because I I was like you. I was waiting for the API because first of all, it, this was the worst kept secret I think in the, in the AV industry yeah. in the last six months. Uh, the fact that they were going to announce this, but I, I never thought about the whole closed platform idea. And you, you raise a good point, uh, Chris. Is that I mean, is, is that something to be concerned about? Is this maybe going to let the genie out of the bottle when it comes to Nest, and um, you know, possibly you know, the the honeymoon may be over once once this API people start using it. For for what the for, average for Nest ask for Nest. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I understand that oh. for Nest, but but for what is the is is my question is the guy who's going to go out to the Lowe's and purchase this and bring it in and install it is never going to try to do an integration piece to it. Mm -mm. Okay, right? you, you know it's it, the advantage here is towards the integrator and the developers that are looking to play with it. You know those guys that are going to the big box shop and buying it and, and taking it home and figuring out how to, how to connect it to their um, their iPods or whatever they're using, their iPhones, to control it and see their uh, temperature of their house when they're away. Those guys probably never had any intention to pick up a phone and call an integrator to have their house completely integrated anyway. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, de it, it's definitely going towards the, fa you know, for integrators, it's great. They can finally take the the, the, the added piece of, a, of the thermostat and add it to the house and, you know, work their magic. <laughs> okay. But I'm, I'm going to jump around and, and throw a couple other stories that we have in here. However, <laughs> there are, okay, in the last month, we have had home automation stories coming out of our ears. Everything from the Amazon home automation store that you can, you can go online now to this week, Staples has a home automation system for crying out loud. The and next stop is mind. Walmart. All right, I'm not. I'm not picking on Walmart. My wife spends most of my paycheck at Walmart, but you know, it, that, that's where we're going. Is the fact that Brad's right? Not everybody has it yet, but it looks very close. Like everybody's going to, in some way, shape, or form, doesn't it? 
Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's coming. I, I think this is, I, and I think all the stuff you mentioned is great. Uh, I think the more ubiquitous these technologies become, um, you know, my, my take on it is it, it, it'll segment the market. You're always going to have DIYers and, 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 you know, the starter home people get the simpler systems and then they'll have the middle market systems and they'll have the high-end systems. And hopefully this will expand and grow our market. You know, in addition to the DIY systems, you've got the, you know, telcos getting into it. And again, I don't think they're competing in some of the same areas that most integrators and dealers are. So I, I think it could be a good thing. And, and that I, you're, you're one of the few, <laughs> one of the few integrators and, and programmers I've heard say it's a good thing. Other guys are like, wait a minute, you know, I, I can't sell this stuff anymore because you can get it at Staples, which is still interesting. Uh, well, Tim, <laughs> yes. Just to be fair, though, I mean, isn't isn't the job okay? So when all over the years, audio systems have come out. Just because someone could go to Walmart and buy a boombox for ninety nine dollars doesn't mean that people start stopped wanting hi fi. I mean, it's still us right. that mm. sell the systems for the people who want to do more, who want better quality, who want higher fidelity audio, et cetera, et cetera. They're, the market's never going to disappear just because that uh, a product comes out where a DIYer can go and pick something up for a couple hundred bucks and do something in their home. I think, like Dan said, absolutely. Um, the more exposure this kind of technology has, the better off we are. Because when it becomes household uh, ideology, then you know it's easier sell for us to sell the more complicated stuff. Yeah, and I think the one good thing that came out of the Staples thing, if you if you read some of the stuff on it, it uh, Lutron's providing the switches mm -hmm. and and the shading, and and they they say that right in the article, and then Lutron goes on to say that well these are pretty basic stripped down switches. So again, I think that'll help segment the market. If you hey, if you want a starter DIY set, you're going to get you know pretty basic on-off feature set, not macros or scenes or you know whatever they're not offering. And if you want more advanced capabilities or functionality, then you have to go up into a you know larger, better, more robust system. So I think again, it kind of more segments the market than than does any harm. Okay, so hang on for a second, Dan. I'll you get back to that, Josh. How then do people find out about? the more expensive, the more whiz-bang systems. I mean, are we assuming that, you know, there's going to be a brochure from Lutron in the, in the Staples box, or is Savant going to say, well, you know, if you want more functionality, you know, here's a number to, to a Crestron rep or an AMX rep. How do people um, migrate and how do they evolve from having a basic system to having a complete home automation system? Well, how do people hear about integrators to, that do high-end systems to begin with? I mean... Isn't it really come back down to the to the basic marketing principles of any business? You know, expand your brand so that people know who you are and that your product does X, Y, and Z. And when they need X, Y, and Z, they call you. Yes, but what I'm, what I'm getting at that though is you're, you're talking about high end systems, and and what happens a lot of times is higher end systems go in higher end homes, right? Not to be simplistic, but that's pretty much how it goes. Right. What, what we're talking about is getting into a market for honestly, but middle-class America. So unless, you know, middle-class Americans have friends who have higher-end homes and they have these fancy uh, touch panels and all this home automation, a lot of people don't know about this stuff. I mean, they, I, I try to explain to people what I do, and I'm sure you guys have run in, ran into the same situation where, you know, they ask you what you do, and, you know, Dan, yeah, well, I, I, program, I program control systems. What is that? You know, what, what, what exactly is that? And so, <laughs> go ahead. I, I'm sorry, that, that's 
that's why the staples pack exists and that's why maybe a walmart pack will exist and because we they no one's cracked that nut yet no one's uh, a lot of the the like you said a lot of the great home automation systems goes in a certain number of homes in the united states and and there's only so many of them and um, for this market to grow, it needs to it needs to start running downhill into uh, into and and so far no one, to to the best of my knowledge, has adequately figured that out. No one's quite figured out how to get um, middle America to care whether their you know lights dim automatically or to control things from their iPods or iPads. I mean, we can do all that, great, but I don't. No one's got. No one's come up with a killer package. That, that people have said, yeah, I want to go out and get that. Now, I thought the, the Nest thermostat was a great place to start. I thought that that was, it had it has a very coolish, you know, Apple-ish feel, you know, by design, by by hereditary, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by, by, by its founders. Um, and, and I thought that that, I think still, that that has a, uh, you know, that's its strong suit is that it's, it's getting it's getting in there. It's it's starting to get people interested in something like that, and they're biting off as much as they want to chew right now. You know, they're not getting a package that's going to dim three of the lights in their house and control their their HVAC and or something like that. They're you know, no one's figured that one out yet. That's why you're seeing the Staples Pack and you're seeing every you know broadband company get into it because no one's figured it out just yet. Yeah, I, I think. Go ahead, Chris. Well, uh, thanks. Then uh, what I was gonna say is the one thing you can put the nail in the coffin to with these Dale, these uh, with with this API and this whole home automation thing coming along is that we can finally put a nail in the coffin of X10, which <laughs> was oh man, you know, I mean, it, but honestly, I mean, I, I'm I'm I was thinking about it and I'm like I'm gonna get killed for saying that, but that was your Middle America solution to automation. You know, for years. I mean, that that probably kept smarthome.com going for God for for ten years. Yeah, you know, because is. that's where you went to get that stuff. But you could probably say that the X10s are done, and now now you're you're finally getting probably something that's going to be economical that puts automation into it. And just like everything else, and the reason why integrators are still integrators, and the Best Buys and Staples can sell these things is because it's going to always get to the point where it hits a limitation. Right. You know, yeah. I want to control this. And when it doesn't do your you know your um, air conditioning and heating system or it does just one or it doesn't work with this type of heater, you know, gas or it doesn't work with a you know some sort of particular unit that you have, there it will then go to the next level then it becomes well how do i do it and that's where the questions and the, and the search goes out looking you know like josh says you know we have you know complete home theater systems nobody's out of business they've been selling you know five piece 5.1 audio systems god you can buy one from uh from every manufacturer including the lowbrow ones that you can buy uh for you know 50 bucks but they're still there but what it's doing is it's it's now blanketing everything, and now you're finally giving introduction to people, uh, the the technology. Even, I mean, I, I'm gonna get long-winded on this, but look at look at LCD monitors, look at those TVs. Ten years ago, Tim, you were a rock star if you had one. Yeah. You know, who who could get a, a TV that you can hang on the wall? You know, what did Walmart do? Yeah, it drove our, you know, drove drove prices down, and it does what Walmart does to everything else. But it introduced plasma screens. 
to middle America. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's sort of like you sort of have to have that balance. It's the force, Tim. We gotta, we gotta balance the force. There's always got to be a yin and a yang. <laughs> Tim, if I might, real quick. Yeah. Before we move on, um, let's take a look back in history instead of moving, uh, you know, to the future-minded stuff. If you look back at any product that's come out before, um, like cell phones or video game consoles or really anything like that, I mean, any technological innovation that we've had in the last 30 years started out as something that people barely heard of, and then it was often unaffordable, and it was more complex than the average person cared for. It wasn't really applicable to the average person. And then all of a sudden, someone comes out with a Me Too product that's slightly less expensive, and so on and so on and so on, until we end up with the situation like Chris just finished saying, you end up with $50 you know, Walmart home theater in a box specials. Uh, you know, so I, really, I, I feel like the only, the only thing that can come of this is a larger awareness in the common everyday household that these kind of products exist. And, and I well, don't, go ahead, Brett. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. The, to, to me, the difference between you know the, the dropping in uh, home theater prices or anything like or or big screen TVs or whatever, the difference between that and home automation is that. Um, it's not that it's not that there's not a, an adequate awareness. I don't think that uh, we as an industry have convinced your average household of why they should be why they should even want these things. Yeah. To to say that you can you know dim your lights from your iPad just isn't enough. I mean, to, to me they've just sort of said they've they've rolled their eyes and they've said you know what my greatest lighting control in my house is the light switch. I mean it's it's on or it's off. I do have a couple of dimmers if I need them. I don't need some of this stuff, and I don't think we've done an, an adequate job um, com- communicating to people why the value proposition of these systems. And, and that's, I guess, that's where where, where my con- not concern comes in. But I, don't misunderstand me, guys. I'm excited the fact that that middle America and that the, that these are becoming more and more ubiquitous. Um, where where my concern comes in is for the manufacturers that that we all know and love and have relationships with that they may get, you know, passed by for these me too products to use Chris's term, uh, because this is who people are going to be familiar with. Uh, yes. Walmart gave, you know, gave us $500 plasmas and that's what they still sell, you know, and that's what, that's what is still in a lot of people's homes. Uh, I guess I'm really more, you know, giving a call out to, to the AMXs and the Crestrons, uh, and the Auroras and, and everybody else that say, you know what, guys, up your marketing, get yourself out there in, in the main lexicon of America and get your name out there to where when they are ready for something more than just the Staples product or something more than just uh, Savant, that your name is already front and center. Um, and they're, and when they're ready to go that next up, you'll be one of the people that they think about. Yeah, I think so. that's a good point. But I think another thing that I've learned from, you know, being in the industry 18 years and serving on the CEA board and other things like that is it is just extremely expensive. I mean, prohibitively expensive to educate the market about all this stuff at this time. So I think it is going to be, you know, fall on kind of the manufacturer to figure out where they're going to need to target their marketing because we've got to educate the market and yeah. and the average consumer, which, you know, 350 million of us in just the U.S., or more is a lot of people to educate on something that you know is just now starting to hit the main the mass market. 
So I, I think that's one kind of big affront that we all face is just, you know, how to educate the market. I think it can only help to get this stuff out there on the small end in the package sense. So at least people start getting educated on the mass market level. And then like Josh pointed out, and like with everything else in the market, you know, you, you have your low end products, they hit a hit a ceiling, it doesn't work anymore past that or doesn't do the functionality that you want past that, you go to the next level. And I think this will again kind of help segment the market. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. Uh, all right, you are listening to AB Week. Uh, that gentleman right there is Dan Fulmer uh, from Full Tech Solutions. Brad Grimes is here from Infocom International. Chris Netto and Joshua Stackhouse from the Revo Labs blog. It's called Revo Blog. Uh, they they make a a statement, a very interesting statement. Um, the analog pro audio er- era is over. Welcome to the digital pro audio age. So, Mr. Neto, we'll start with you. Is uh, is analog dead? Well, I'll, I'll give you a little feedback. Um, this is Dan from Full Tech, and we we do uh, about fifty percent of our business is commercial. And one of the problems with commercial is that they have the budget mentality of you know we got to spend this year's budget, or else we don't get it next year. And they'll typically buy older technology just because they have lots of older technology behind that. So it's it's been a real difficult issue to get some commercial establishments to upgrade into digital. So I think this could possibly help push that and force them to do what, you know, we've been saying for years to be more prudent for their budgets is to slowly, gradually upgrade into, you know, analog digital mix systems and then digital systems, which a lot of them have refused to do. Colleges and schools are a great example of that because they'll have, you know, thousands of old computers sitting around, thousands of 4 by 3 projectors or 4 by 3 screens, and they'll just buy more 4 by 3 stuff instead of getting newer equipment. And, you know, that doesn't have much to do with audio, but it's, it's the digital uh, part of that is, is having an impact on whether or not these people will change, and I think this will help to maybe force some of that. Yes, but Dan, you know why that is? Because colleges don't have any money. <laughs> yeah, it's all budget. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, it's uh, all budget. But, it, but again, I think we've, we've, we've We've shown with through some private schools who didn't have the budget constraints, in other words, they could take money from this year that they saved and flow it into the next year. We've put them on three-year plans where it was actually much more cost-effective long-term and gave them eight years' worth of use out of their systems or oh, 10 wow. years versus putting stuff in just to spend your budget, rip it out next year, and then put new stuff in. Well, yeah, that, so that's, that's a good point. argument to say that there is a, a prudent way to upgrade into digital without busting your budget, but you have to be able to do your budget like normal human beings do their budget and not like the government. Well, that, that is true. Uh, g- good luck with that. But yeah, <laughs> uh, Mr. Neto is, is analog audio dead. We're talking about the Revo labs blog. No. <laughs> okay. Moving <laughs> how's on. That, how's that for a comment? No, anyway. well, it depends. It depends on what type of analog audio you talk about music. Or are you talking about analog audio as in microphones and, you know, pro stuff? I mean, you have the people that want their two-channel audio at home. That's going to stay forever. But you, are you talking? I'm sorry, Tim. I dropped off the call, and I'm now just talking. That's all right. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm in a bad Wi-Fi li- yeah. uh, area. He was right at no. He was. Yeah, he was right <laughs> at no. Chris nailed it at no. I mean, <laughs> uh, I you know I've I've hung out with some you know really digital savvy. Integrators. I mean, people who teach Infocom courses on digital audio and digital video and, and some of these other things. And we'll sit around and we'll talk about 
you know, an installation that they just did and, and they did this boardroom and they blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, wow, so you did it end-to-end digital, right? And they said, no, no. We, you know, we, they didn't want to pay for this quite yet. You know, just like Dan said, not everyone's got the money or the, or, or the you know, forward thinking to go all the way digital. You can tell them all about it and, and the benefits of it down the road. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is you know, even new installations, some folks will still keep their analog or they'll, they'll replace analog with analog. So no, it's it's not dead yet. We 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 see the benefits of it slowly, you know, meandering over the uh, over the horizon, but it's not yet. Well, well Brad, I, go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. Thank you. I I don't really see that analog in this sense of analog. I don't think that analog is really ever going to go away because it would be kind of like reinventing the wheel. I mean, whether Mind you, I, I, I'm still a rookie in the industry, so when it comes to the larger business aspects of things, I, I can't speak with confidence. But you know, why would you bother if you're a, a small band or a small business and you need a sound reinforcement system for your company picnics, or if you're a small concert promoter or or a bar owner or, or, or any number of, of smaller scale applications, which are a sizable chunk of, of a consumer base? Uh, why would you bother with digital? If you're not in a recording studio or something like that, that's a super high-end system that really needs to have, you know, the, all those bells and whistles that come with digital. Why bother with the, the extra cost and the extra learning curve that's involved in that when you could still plug a mic into an old Mackie 1202 and a couple of loudspeakers and go play in your garage? Okay, gentlemen, <laughs> since I'm the only one who actually, I, 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 I will, I will agree with the person who wrote this blog for. A second here and that's two words that are in the middle of this article spectrum space when you're dealing with wireless yeah. audio and wireless transmission that part has got to we have got to do something I mean yes the FCC is starting to do some registration programs where you can register your frequencies that you're using I, I'm sorry I don't trust the FCC not to sell those <laughs> off at some point I just don't and well, I think go ahead. Yeah, it's the same as HDMI. I think you know the, how'd they kill off analog video? Well, you basically mandated it. And now you can't buy any more analog video stuff. So it'll be the same with the, uh, analog audio. I think is when you can stop buying the stuff you can plug in, and they stop making it, then then it goes away. Um, you know, until then, and I think that is relegated to basically you know FCC and and Spectrum for wireless technologies. Um, it may be relegated by something else in the future as far as low-power amps. It may become a requirement in the future. Then you can't do your tube amps anymore. So <laughs> Jeez, I think yeah. that, that'll be the way they kind of get it out uh, or, you know, do away with it, I think, just like with HDMI. I mean, that was kind of – we were forced out of any analog video, basically, by the emergence of basically HDMI-only equipment now. So basically, once the FCC does eventually sell off those frequencies, we'll, we'll all be forced to go to a digital transmission. What can you do? Well, yeah. My buddy Michael's going to make a lot of money that year. <laughs> Michael's yeah. a, he's, he's a rep for Sennheiser. So, uh, so lots and lots of wireless uh, systems, Michael. Um, but, yeah, that's, that was my only thing is that was the one thing that got me was that whole spectrum space and the fact that you've got to – we have to do something. I mean, yes, you, I, I don't know. We've got you know uh, all kinds of interesting things. All right, guys, a couple – go ahead. Tim, I was just going to say, when you hit with that question, is analog dead? The first thing I go to is, I'm thinking music. I'd last, you know, between that, 
when you go to analog and you tell me about analog, I'll go two-channel audio. That's the first thought that comes to my mind. Then it's analog telephone lines versus digital telephone lines. Yeah. You know, those are the two things. I, you, know, you forget about the digital spectrum and stuff like that. And they've been pushing that out. And those, those the, the analog RF spectrum, that is, that's going to be sold. You know, they're going to be doing other stuff with that. They're, the government has plans for that. At least what I read when when this uh, you know when this proposal started coming out a couple of years ago that, that this is what they were going to do. So those channels are definitely going places. They may go to Wi-Fi to to do um, you know blanketed Wi-Fi networks over entire cities. You know I, I, I don't know, or given to other you know other organizations that need that, or so. auction it off like they did the other one to uh, AT and T and Verizon. So. Maybe they'll sell this one to, to Google next time. So, you never know. You never know. Well, the, there are the radio stations out there that are taking the spectrum space, or the FCC has started to lax up and take the spectrum space for some areas and allow people to do low broad, low power broadcasting on the same exact frequency uh, ranges that the larger radio stations are broadcasting on. So, I don't see them as being as draconian as you think they are, Tim. They're the devil. <laughs> They're the devil. <laughs> <laughs> the FCC Damn. is the devil. Damn the man. Yep. That's it. <laughs> Fight the man. <laughs> Fight the power. Um, all right. Well, the last story here and then a, a, a neat little side story at the, at the end here. Uh, this is from CE Pro. Uh, this is a, an interesting question by Mr. Jason Knott. Should integrators refuse jobs for ethical reasons? Uh, the story yes. comes. <laughs> thank you. Uh, the uh, question comes about. Because ADT uh, recently announced it would not install security systems at marijuana dispensaries. Even if it's a medical marijuana state, uh, they're saying because it's still uh, against the federal law, they don't want to have any part of it. Um, so, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Joshua Stackhouse, uh, the rookie of the group, should, uh, should integrators refuse jobs uh, if, they, if they don't feel ethically right? Absolutely. Uh, I'll share with you a story that was actually taught to me when I was at Madison Media. Uh, when I was in my design classes, we covered a story from one of our instructors who had a client uh, who wanted to have a security system put into his entire house, and that included having cameras covering pretty much every inch of his house, and it was a large house. Um, the client pulled uh, the guy aside who was doing the design and wanted to have a camera put into his two teenage daughters' bedrooms without him, without them knowing that the cameras were there, and the integrator refused. So um, there's an example right there. Um, I don't think it's an illogical extension for a company like ADT to to say no, we're not going to to put uh, our systems into medical marijuana dispensaries. So it's 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 just an ethical question here brad should should uh integrators refuse jobs uh because of ethical concerns uh if they have them then i they should be free to refuse or take whatever job they want based on whatever reasons uh, mm -hmm. they want to take or not take them mm -hmm. that's uh it's it's really up to them it's it can be you know i don't i think in this case i don't think adt is in any uh liability you know, concern, they don't have liability concerns here. I don't, I don't think uh, anybody can get them for, for uh, you know, putting systems into a, a marijuana dispensary. I, I don't know enough about the legality of it, but I, I'm pretty sure that they're safe to do it if they wanted to. 
Um, but if they've got an ethical problem with it, if they, even if it's a political stand, I don't even know if it's a political stand or not. It may not be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, sure, you can refuse work for whatever reason you want. I mean, you know, taken to a limit. You can't refuse certain jobs for you know bias issues or anything like that but you know in, in a something in a case like this i have no problem with them saying no now if i owned a security company would i go to the medical marijuana dispensaries that adt has refused yeah i might and, <laughs> and i and i don't think that i would have an ethical problem with that i don't i don't i didn't read into adt's announcements or their position that it was an ethical issue or a legal issue or i think they left themselves a little bit of wiggle room there but no, they didn't. it you know it doesn't really matter if they're if they're afraid of prosecution or if they're afraid of liability for doing it you know i don't think they have to be afraid of that and i'm pretty sure that they're a smart enough company that they know what they're liable for and what they're not liable for that doesn't matter if they want to refuse business they can refuse business yeah, I'm sure they had a couple of lawyers looking at the deal. Sure. Uh, Dan, is, is this something where where you would you know would you let's put it to you specifically? Would you uh, program a system for a, a medical marijuana facility? Yeah, I, I think uh, you know I agree with Brad and, and Joshua. I think uh, you know one, I'm an American company. I can refuse to do business you know within the law with yeah. anyone I feel I don't want to business with. Um, we've we've returned checks to a client just because. You know, before we started work, he called us up and berated us one day for something that had nothing to do with us, and we felt like it just wasn't a good option to work with this person. Um, going to going to Josh's example, we we in 18 years, I've had that similar circumstance happen many many times. Um, we just made it a going rule that we don't install cameras inside homes. If you want to put the camera in yourself, we'll tell you where to plug it in and all that, but we're not going to put it in ourselves. So that way, you know, that's more of a legal thing for me, though, not an ethical. We've had people actually arrested and go to prison in our city that were basically because they had cameras inside of a home. And if a child walks in front of that camera and is not wearing anything, that becomes a whole new ball of wax. So that's a legal thing, not really an ethical thing. Um, so for legal reasons, we refuse that kind of stuff. Uh, as far as ethical goes, I think, you know, again, you know, we, we pick and choose our clients as, as, you know, for people who we want to work with and, and, uh, and that's basically it. So, um, you know, I have no problem with anybody refusing business for whatever reason they feel they want to refuse it. That makes sense. Uh, Mr. Nettle, you'll have the last word on this one. Is this, is this okay for ADT to say we don't like medical marijuana, so we're not going to? They, they, I shouldn't say that. They're not. That's not what they're saying. Their stance is because they say that me medical marijuana is still illegal by the feds, so that's why they're not doing it. So, that's it's sort of you know, again, like everybody else is saying. I agree. Everybody's got a choice what they do and don't do. But how many, um, I guess, streetwise pharmaceutical entrepreneurs does ADT probably put security systems in their homes? not knowing where they work, <laughs> well, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. that could, you know, that's, that's just my question there is, okay, just because that, that, you know, that, that company's out there, it's transparent. This is the style of business. You don't know what people are doing. So now are you going to start refusing, you know, you're going to start doing background checks on all the homes you're doing too, because of what they do, you know, you don't know what these people do for a living out of their house or out of their business. I mean, obviously, if it says pizza, they make pizza, but even there, you don't even know what they could be or couldn't be doing. So, you know, it's up to it's up to the integrator what 
you know, they want to do and, and, and stuff like that. The last thing I want is somebody telling me what I can and can't do. But, you know, that's ADT's stance. If that's, the, if that's what they want to do, that's their business. I'm sure there'll be somebody else at their door the next day. Uh, looking to put in a home security system, <laughs> say, so it's a good it's a good advertisement. You don't have to run into them. Uh, you know, if you're a security company, you're not going to run into ADT at any of those medical marijuana places. This is true. And and if you've never seen Breaking Bad, there are all sorts of people who do outside of the law things that look perfectly normal, and um, well, they look like you know chemistry professors. So there you there you go. Uh, last but not least, uh, last week. Um, our friends over at Infocom had an event that was rather successful. It was called Infocom India 2013. So, Brad, congratulations to you guys. Thanks. It was a great show. It was a great show. It was a well-attended show. It was a packed show as far as the uh, the uh, exhibitors uh, went. Um, and this And you guys already also already have next year, <laughs> the dates for next year booked, too. So, I'd say yeah, it went rather well. Up. Yeah, it, went, it did. It was uh, I, I, I don't know. The, we haven't talked about official numbers yet, but it was, I think, the largest of its kind first-time show um, that we've done. Uh, you know, we, we'd been in India, in, in, in India for several years doing roadshow presentations. This was, uh, uh, you know, something we, we knew a little bit about the market. We, we had an idea of what they wanted. Um, but when we uh, launched the show and when we held it last week in Mumbai, it, it exceeded all our expectations. I mean, we want to go over there. We want to help them grow their industry over there. And I think uh, talking to a lot of the Infocom folks who were there, um, they learned a lot from, from the folks in the India market. It's a very savvy market. It's, um, you know, a very advanced market for, for a market that's getting its first Infocom show. So it was, it was a success all around. I will say that some of the people that I've talked to in the industry that are way smarter than me, people like you and, and, and you know, people in the manufacturing business, they have told me before that this is the, this is like a gold mine, that it, it is a, a rapidly developing market for the AV industry, and mm -hmm. it is just getting ready to explode. So it's, yeah, it's the fastest, by our, our, our own research, it's the fastest growing, it's not the biggest market, obviously, but no. it's the fastest growing market in the, in the world. And when you think about, um, you know, where they are as far as their IT services business and their, you know, you know, they are tech savvy. They're, they're eager for it. And they are already very services oriented. Their, their services portion of their AV business is already growing faster than their product business. And when you think about a, a nascent market like that, that's a, that's a pretty large achievement already. Yeah. And that, no, not to mention the fact that they're three size, the, you know, the actual population of India is three size, the three, three times the size of, of the U.S. So, yeah. All righty. Uh, guys, that's going to do it for us for this week. Uh, that gentleman right there is Brad Grimes. He's the senior editor for Infocom International. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Tim. Uh, where can people find you and find Infocom? Uh, you can find us at infocom.org. And I do want to thank Tim and the folks at AV Nation. They help us produce a uh, Infocom Today podcast. Yep. If you ever want to hear what's going on at Infocom, uh, infocom.org. Uh, org slash today. That's where you can find the Infocom Today podcast. I do want to thank Tim and, uh, and all the folks at Aviation Nation for help, helping us out. Well, thank you for having us, sir. We, we enjoy it. And actually, uh, we just uh, we have one coming up here real soon. So, um, yep. Also with us is Dan Fulmer. Dan, Dan is the CEO of Full Tech Solutions. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. It's great being here. Where can people find you or Full Tech? Uh, you can Google Full Tech with one L. And otherwise, we're at fulltechsolutions.com. 
Very good. Uh, also with us is Chris Neto. He is from AV Help Desk, but he also has uh, a wonderful website called uh, AV Shout. He has a red band, uh, which is a, a group of, of crazy uh, AV professionals who write and rant and Every once in a while, they get on, on the mic and, and do a podcast for us, too. So thank you, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having us. And uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find my company at uh, avhelpdesk.com. Uh, you can find my website or my blog site at avshout.com. Or you can catch me on Red Band Radio, which is our AV Nation radio show that we, um, myself, Josh, and... Uh, a lot of uh, other interesting uh, guests and bloggers have uh, jumped on and uh, joined us. So um, that's where you can find me. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and last but not least, uh, our rookie, uh, Mr. Joshua Stockhouse, the audiovisual systems technician for AMS. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And where can people find you? Uh, well, uh, like Chris just said, I am part of Red Band. So you can go to redband.apshout.com and uh, see my articles uh, with the brand new website that we just redesigned. It's easy to navigate and find your favorite blogger now. Um, and uh, you can also find me on Twitter at uh, StackhouseAV, um, or you can uh, check out uh, AMS online at uh, AMS. Uh, it's not a good day for me to talk today. AMS-MAD.com. All right. Um, one, one quick question for you. How is, how is the AV wedding coming? Uh, well, the AV wedding has been put on hold for uh, cost control reasons. Oh, uh, <laughs> it, it turns out that uh, planning a wedding can get astronomically expensive very quickly. You know what? I'll tell you what I keep telling my seven-year-old daughter. Elope. Just, yeah. just elope. <laughs> <laughs> you sure that, that yeah. you sure that you sure that's a wedding or an AV purchase in the corporate world, man? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's called scope creep. Yeah, no lie. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where I was going with that. <laughs> uh, well, good luck to you, sir. Whenever whenever it does happen, so and and good luck on the uh, on on maintaining the budget for it. So, uh, my name is Tim Albright. If you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, TD Tim David Albright. Uh, but more importantly for me and everybody here, uh, an awful lot of people go into making this happen, not just uh, the show, but the web uh, website and everything else. Go by the website, avnation.tv. avnation.tv, we have this show, we have the, the Red Band guys, we've got a control show and a host of others. Uh, you'll find us there, you'll find us on Twitter and, and Facebook and, the, and even on the Google+. Plus. Uh, so avnation.tv, thanks so much for listening. That's all the time we have for AV Week. 